If you'll open your Bible to page 943, we'll be at a verse or two there today in the Gospel of John chapter 5 that I want us to look, but we'll have to kind of work our way to that verse. So if you'll be finding your place while I, while I seem to be trying to find mine. Now, Somewhere about the middle of the latter part of November, Dr. R.T. Kendall, now many of you from, of course, our church knows exactly who I'm talking about. R.T. Kendall was pastor of Westminster Chapel in London for uh, 25 years, and he retired, and he's been more active retired than he was before he retired because he, he, he preaches all over the world. It's amazing. He's a, he's a graduate of Oxford. He, he would be considered by any Bible scholar to be uh, one of the, you know, great living Bible scholars today, anyone uh, would agree with that. He's written like 70, 80 books, and he's been a blessing to John and to me uh, in a strange way uh, over a, a good number of years. And uh, he, he's kind of someone I would call if, or text or email either uh, if I'm struggling to try to figure out something about not some portion of scripture. And I say, I'd, I'd be interested in what Dr. Kendall has to say about that. Be that as it may, he called me uh, the latter part of the November and said, here's how the phone call began. He said, I need you to do me a favor. Don't you just love a phone call like that? <laughs> well, number one, he knows whatever the favor is, the answer is yes, because he's done me so many favors. I mean, I will never be able to repay what Dr. Kendall has meant to me and, and, and to Dottie as well as to John. Uh, just an unbelievable ministry he's had to us. And I said, well, I, what is it? I, what is the favor? He said, well, I have written a new book. I thought, man, this guy just keeps writing books. And he said, what I would like to do, I would like to send you the manuscript and uh, I want you to do me a couple of favors, if you will. Number one, to read the manuscript and then, number two, I would like for you, after you've read the manuscript, to write a little brief endorsement that will be printed within the book. You know, when you get books, various, they'll have four, five, six, seven, eight people will say something about the book. And I said, well, I, I'll, be, I'll be happy to do that. He said, now, I, I need you to do this by the middle of December because the book is about to go to press. And I thought, well, okay. Well, a few days later, I, here, here is the manuscript he sent. Now, when I saw it, I thought, man, when I, when I received it, I had about three weeks to go. And first of all, the, the request was in one way difficult in, in that it, 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 this is kind of a lot of material here. And, and I had a little timeline, and you, as you well know, that's, that's a busy time of year. And so I had to try to find time to read this. And what else made it difficult is it's, it's a very deep book. I mean, like, you, you just have to almost study everything he's saying. It's a great book, but it's not, some, it's not casual reading book. But be that as it may, and the title of this book, I thought this was intriguing when I saw the title, their finest hour. And when I saw the title, I thought, well, what in the world is Kendall writing about? Well, what he did, this is what makes this book interesting. He took 30 Bible characters and he wrote what most people would consider to be their finest hour. 
And then he gave his view of what he considered to be their finest hour. And needless to say, he, his view on all 30 would be different than probably what I would have chosen. Like if you'd asked me, what would you say would, was David's finest hour? Well, I would have said, well, maybe when he killed the giant Goliath or maybe when he was anointed king. Well, Kendall came up with another thought that I'd ever thought about. But what he did in the book, he, he defines in the introduction to the book, he defines what he means by the finest hour. Listen carefully, because he really has a great lesson. And he, he says in his introduction, you may not agree with my opinion on some of these or all of these. He said, that's okay. Just consider it. He always says that, you know, he'll say, you know, you may not agree with this, but just consider this. Think about this. Well, he defines my finest hour is not what man thinks about someone, but what God thinks about someone. In other words, what would be, what would be Jimmy Herrick's finest hour I've seen in all these years we've been together? Well, what I might come up, I would say right off the top of my head now, his finest hour was this past singing Christmas tree. I, I thought it was just beyond anything we've ever done all these years. Now, but now, that may not be what God would say was his finest hour. That's the point. So when I finished reading this manuscript and I quickly wrote my little endorsement of it and sent it back, I thought of some words of Jesus that really teach what his book illustrates. And so I want you to look with me in John chapter 5 um, and, 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 and see this little statement or two that the Lord Jesus makes. Now, in John chapter 5, it's a great chapter in the Gospel of John. These first, these first verses in this chapter, verse 15, where Jesus heals that lame man at the pool of Bethesda in the Holy Land. That's one of my very favorite places, the pool of Bethesda. I just love, and the little devotion we have there is just such a meaningful thing. Well, Jesus heals this man you know, that's where he was down waiting on his water to move. You remember the story. And if you could be first in the water, it was believed you'd be healed. You've read that story. Well, he, he heals the man, tells the man to take up his pallet and walk, and the man did. But here's the problem. He did it on the Sabbath day. And the Jewish people said you couldn't do something like that on the Sabbath day. They believed that was violation to what God taught. And so if you look with me, you're in John chapter 5, you're on page 943. But if you look back in verse 16 in this same chapter, it says, For this reason, what I've just shared, for this reason, the Jew, for this reason, excuse me, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And then if we had time, we'd read on more. But what we have is this chapter moves on. Jesus begins to talk to these, Jew these Pharisees. You know, they're the most religious of the Jewish people. They, they, they were what you and I would call the legalist. Well, he begins to talk to them about how, how they're missing the whole point of what's going on. In fact, if you look in verse 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. 
He said, you, you guys have it all wrong. You think if you just know all the Bible, know all the Scripture, uh, you know, that that's, that's the solution. The Scripture's what say. He said, no, I'm the one that does that. In verse 40, he goes on to say, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He said, you're, you're hung up on knowing all about the Scriptures. You're missing what the Scriptures teach and who the Scriptures speak. In verse 41, he says, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Now, verse 45, 44, it's verse 44 that made, came to my mind when I finished reading Kendall's manuscript and thinking about what he was saying. Jesus said, how can you believe you receive honor from one another? That was a big deal to the rabbis. The rabbis, Jesus said this. He said, you like to be in the marketplace, go around, everybody come up to you and say, oh, rabbi, kind of honor you, pay you uh, tribute and homage. He, he said, you, you guys honor one another. But look what he said. You do not seek the honor that comes only from God. Now, that's what this book is about. Kendall is saying, you know, we honor people and we want people to honor us because what we might consider to be our greatest hour, our greatest moment. But he said, that's, that's not the way to think about it. Think how God looks on what you do, how God looks on how you live and see if God will honor you. You know, the fact of the matter is no one knew the scriptures better than the Pharisees. But like the Pharisees, I think this is a true statement. None of us, not one of us in this room, if we'll be honest, and we're at church, so we can be honest for just a little small period of time here at church, and we go back out in the world and be what we you know, want to be. But we got to be honest. None of us will ever outgrow, will outgrow enjoying the praise of people. I think that's a true statement. I hate to even admit it. I appreciate someone saying you did something good or whatever. And we, I think it's just part of human nature that we never really, you know, some. Now, now, the problem is some people, we all enjoy approval. But some people have what I'm calling today an approval addiction. They really do. They just have to always be given approval or it almost hurts their feelings. And now I certainly am not in that category. I do appreciate approval. Don't, don't you appreciate approval? I mean, well, yeah, we, I mean, we, we do. But, but the, the real issue is this. What's important is this. What we need to think about is where do we want this approval to come from? Do I want approval to come from people to me? I appreciate that. Or am I more concerned that approval come from God? You know, if, you know I want God to approve. And, and if you look at it in these two different ways, it's, it's very, very interesting. Now, you know, as you think about that, if, if you really would be a person that has an approval addiction, I doubt anyone here would say they are, but I'll say this about that. Uh, you live your life with much disappointment and discouragement. 
Because number one, everybody will not be pleased with you. Have you learned that in life yet? Yeah. You know, I want everybody to be pleased with me. I really do. But I, I know they're not. I mean, I, I don't please everybody. You say, well, I, we'll, we'll pray for you, Pastor. Well, do. But I don't want to ruin your day, but you don't please everybody either. You know, I mean, I don't always even please everybody in my family. In fact, I doubt a day goes by that I please everybody in my family. I better leave that alone. I better leave that alone. But, you know, I want to please everybody. Now, I care about pleasing people. It's not like I'm arrogant. I mean, I, I don't want to do things to displease people, but I'm... I've lived long enough to understand that I'm not going to please everybody, and, and you're neither. Now, I'm responsible for my integrity, my honesty. Uh, I'm responsible for my purity, my truthfulness, these kind of things. But I'm not responsible to pleasing everybody. And if a person doesn't understand that, they'll, they'll lose their mind, and they'll probably lose their faith in, in the meantime. It, I don't have an addiction to please everybody. I hope what I do does please me. I just wrote a lady a a lady just sent me a thank you card for bearing her husband. Uh, he was not even a member of the church. And uh, I'd never met the wife, but I had bared somebody else in the family and they wanted me to do this feeling. And I did. And, and um, I, I didn't really know how I did, to be honest with you, that service. I didn't know the people well enough to know what was going on. But, but the, the wife wrote me the nicest letter and thanked me uh, for doing her husband's funeral. And I just finished writing her back and, and I said, I hope you and your family were pleased with the service. So I'm out here trying to, I want to do my best to do what would be helpful to people. Okay. But if the lady wrote me back and said, no, we thought it stunk. <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't really think it stunk. I thought it was pretty good. But I, I mean, I wouldn't go jump off of uh, the Hartman Bridge over here. If, if God, I mean, if, if that lady, now she, I don't think that sweet lady would do this. She wrote me a very nice letter. I'm just saying, though, I can't live my life by what somebody writes me in a letter. I mean, one letter said, thank you so much. Another letter says, you stink. Well, I mean, boy, that's like life like a ping pong ball. Now, now you just we just can't do like that. But our, our desire should be to get to, that we please God, that we get praise from God. Now, pleasing people is difficult. I'll tell you, pleasing God is not as difficult. I'll tell you why pleasing people is difficult. Because people are different. Even the same people are different throughout the day. We all are. But the God is always the same. So it's easier to please God than to please people. Now, we're, we're human. We're not always going to please God. Like Paul said, you know, there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And I understand that. So sometimes my spirit wouldn't please God. But it's easier to please God because his spirit's always the same. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I, I get it. But without faith, listen carefully. Now, here's, here's how we can do something to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, by faith, I'm not talking about just believing that God exists, even though that is essential. I'm talking about faith in believing that God is sovereign and God is in control in life. And, and whatever comes, you know, the Bible, Bible tells that God is in heaven 
and he does whatever he pleases. So God is sovereign. And here's, here's how that helps me in life. As you go through life, things come into life. Things happen, and we don't understand it. We don't understand it. Oh, I, I, I met with a family yesterday preparing a, a funeral also, and I did not know the man at all. It was, it was, it was his mother, and he and his sister were there in this meeting. I knew her, but I did never met him. And I could, I could sense that along the way, I thought this man's probably not a churchman. He was nice. But I asked him, I said, like, where do you live? He told me. I said, do you, do, you, do you go to church? He said, no, no. And he told me why. And it was, a, I could understand. I won't go into that. But something had happened in their family. And his wife, and he, he and his wife just kind of blamed God for it. Maybe she's doing so more than he, I'm not sure. But I could, he and I had a great meeting and a great relationship in that. Um, But, you know, and I asked him about his relationship with the Lord. And he said, I think think I've trusted Jesus. We we had just a good good visit there. But the point I make is something had come into their life that humanly there is no answer. There just is no answer. And had it come into my family's life, I would, if I didn't believe what I believe, that God is sovereign and he controls the circumstances that come into life, I, I, I would probably be, be in a, a very difficult situation. But God is sovereign. He controls whatever happens, whether we understand it or not. In one of Oswald Chambers' devotionals that I read back in December, he, he concluded the devotional about the sovereignty of God and talking about how things happen, and I won't ask for a raise of hand, but there wouldn't be a one of us here today that might have things in our life happen that we do not understand that we wish never had happened. That's just, we live in a fallen world and things happen. And, and many times it, we don't have a clue, but here's what we need to remember. God is sovereign and God is in control, whether I understand it or not. And Chambers finished his devotional suggesting that we adopt this little motto. And I like it. No complaining on our part. No explanation on God's part. Like God doesn't owe you and me an explanation. Could I have an amen to that? You know, if he told us everything, our minds couldn't comprehend it. And I'm saying this, if we can ever, as we go through life, and I'm thinking here we are in a new year. I was listening to Jimmy sing, and I thought, here we go, starting off 2024. How's it going to be with us in 2024? Well, none of us knows what all the year has for us, but we know one who does know, and that's God. Amen? And God is sovereign. God is in control. Whether you understand it, whether I understand it, Chambers is right. No complaining on our part, Okay. No explanation on God's part. It is a sure way to please God, and it's a good way to live life. And Lord, I just know in my own life, there are things that have come our way that I don't understand. And I think, God, that's probably true for every person in this room. But we need to remember, God, you are sovereign. You're in control. And if we'll just trust you to know that 
One day we will understand, but in the meantime, we have faith. Faith that you're in control. Help us to live our life, God, being more concerned about pleasing you than we are pleasing people. And God, what I've learned, if I'm pleasing you, I'll please the majority of the people. Now, those that can't be pleased, I'm not accountable. I'm not responsible, nor am I going to let them rob me of my joy. Help us not do that, God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this new year. And God, I pray this is going to be a good year for each one in the room. Keep us safe this year. Keep us strong. Keep us healthy. And help us be a blessing everywhere we have opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.